Shalom, everyone. Uh, let me know if you can't hear me, and we'll try to make adjustments to it. Hopefully, everything will be all right. We won't have any interruptions, and everything will go well. Welcome to the class, uh, Climbing the Ladder, or Changing the Way We Think, and I think we've had a couple of classes already. I, uh, my schedule is a little crazy, and I get uh, <laughs> confused, <laughs> but I think we've done a couple, and I missed last week with you because of the, the second Wednesday of every month. I'm already tied up on something, so... Uh, with God's help, you'll put up with me, and we'll still continue to learn, and we'll still continue to journey on climbing the ladder or changing the way we think. First, I want to uh, to give you my uh, contact information. Some people have asked about it, and I just want to put it up for you if you want, want it or need it. Uh, of me, my email that you can, uh, my personal email that will always for sure get to me. And then our website, our 800 number at the office, which I'm very seldom in. And then our physical or our mailing address, if you if you need it. Okay, so I'll leave that up for just a minute, and kind of kind of not recap, but uh, kind of bring us back our brains back to what we've been dealing with uh, for a couple of lessons now, talking about really the differences between this physical universe, what in Hebrew we call the world of Asiyah, which which has both a physical and a spiritual side to it. But the world of action, the world of doing, and the and the totally spiritual universes that are above it, what what the difference is there? And we've been looking at difference of form, difference of form, and affinity of form. Uh, and the last time we were together, we did a lot of study with Rabbi Arya Kaplan concerning how things can come close together, how they can interact and come close together in the spiritual worlds. And it's not the same as here in the physical universe where, where if we're going to come close together, we're, we come close together geographically. We physically come close together. And it doesn't matter. We can be the complete opposite. We can have both good and evil in the same place. That's one of the reasons we have to have this physical universe is so that uh, those two forces can literally interact. And uh, But anyway... Rabbi Kaplan was showing us that in order to come close together in the spiritual sphere, in the uh, and in the uh, spiritual worlds, that people have to be alike in form, in the sense of uh, good attributes. Good can only come next to good. Evil can only come next to evil in the spiritual worlds. So, if the whole idea and what's behind all of that thinking is that if we want to come close to God, who is completely and totally a spirit, then we have to, what, what do the, the, Talm, uh, the Talmud tell us? We have to be like him in attribute. And what they're talking about is being like him in form. Now, Rabbi Yehuda Lev Ashlag, who is our really main rabbi for this entire study, along with uh, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Luzato, the Ramchal, he begins, he actually, he just doesn't... Uh, throw people into any kind of level of Kabbalistic study. In other words, he just doesn't tell people, and I know people who do this all the time, and I'm not so sure that they should, uh, until they understand some basic things and change the way they think. Uh, but he just doesn't throw people in and tell them to you know, go, go buy you a nice translation of the Zohar and just start to study. Because that level of study in Judaism is really written in code, and you really have to think in the correct way before you can even begin to understand anything in it. So in his introduction to the Zohar, that's what we've been covering so far. 
he was called the Baal HaSulam, the master of the ladder. And this is why one of his works is entitled In the Shadow of the Ladder. And he is teaching us how to climb this ladder, how to come close to God, how to cleave with him or how to bond with him. And it has to be done by coming to a similarity or an affinity, if you will, of form. And what he has explained to us so far is that 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 Hashem, God, gives to us, he actually uses like a blade, like an axe, cutting off a stone from a mountain, in, in the sense that he separates a soul from himself. And what he uses to separate that soul from himself is he creates a will to receive for itself alone. That's the key. And so, how are we to become one with him again? How, how is that soul which all of us have this divine soul within us, how is that soul which longs for him, which cries out for him, which wants to be with him, which wants to know him, how can it possibly be that that soul can become one with him? How can it become reconnected with him? It must overcome this separation, and that separation is the will to receive for itself alone. And so we have the Torah, and the Torah and the mitzvot, and Torah study also is a mitzvah, is a commandment, but the Torah, I always say the Torah and the mitzvot, as Rabbi Ashlag always does also, because some people will come and say, oh, well, well, you know, I, I read the Torah, I, I read the Bible, so that's enough. But no, it's the Torah and the mitzvot. It's one thing to read, it's another thing to do. And, uh, and this is so, so important. But anyway, that comes to correct us. That comes to correct the will to receive for itself alone and transform it, Rabbi Ashlag, says, into a completely different kind of a vessel. And, a, and he's going to tell us a vessel is a will to receive. But to transform it into a completely different kind of a vessel that can be one with him, that can come close to God. And that vessel is the will to receive in order to give, in order to give benefit to others, and in order to please Hashem. Now those are the basic ideas that we've covered so far. Now as you know, when we really get into Rabbi Ashlag, and it's important that we actually do, and we are going to, but when we really get into him, he can say some things that really blow our minds as we go along. And uh, the deal is, is uh, what we have to do is when he does blow our minds, when he does throw us a curve like that, we just have to wait and let him go through his very, very rabbinical, logical argument where he is going to give the, the argument to us from the sources, uh, from the sages, and he and his language, as the language of all the sages, especially, I mean, especially the ancient sages, their language is extremely precise, and he will give us example after example of this, but to, just to be on the lookout for that. In fact, any time you are studying, really studying any of the sages, any, any of the great rabbis, you have to understand that. Their language is extremely precise. I, I encounter this all the time, and, uh, and just to bring it to your memory. Okay, now, let's go. Let's see where he left us, and we'll get started. Yes, he was talking about uh, when we were together the last time. He had just finished this idea of how the, a vessel is created. And a vessel, by the way, is going, he's going to tell us, uh, in other places in his writings, a vessel also is nothing more than a lack. In other words, that something is created that, that must be filled. In other words, uh, the vessel itself, in this case the will to receive, 
It's so, it's a lack. It's a it's an empty place. It's a deficit, if you will. Uh, it's a uh, it's a something's missing. In other words, that's the idea. Something is missing, and and this all has to do with this idea of the will to receive. And now he told us when we were together the last time. <coughs> excuse me. He says we begin to have an opening, just an opening. To understand, and you remember he had five questions, and then he had four inquiries, and actually, to tell you the truth, the inquiries and the preliminary inquiries that he did are really more of, he sets forth for us four different paradoxes, and he begins to answer those. But he says, now we have an opening to understand the fourth inquiry, which was what? That fourth inquiry, our our paradox, if you will, is that the framework of evil that is in the world, and that, and you'll, if you're reading rabbinic sources, you'll hear that called the sitra akra. The sitra akra is an Aramaic term meaning the other side, and we'll understand what they mean by that as we study along. Or it's also referred to as klipot. Klipot means the shells. He says that framework of evil that is in the world is so entirely estranged from the holiness of Hashem that a person can't even begin to imagine such an extreme divergence. They are just so opposite of each other. So if that's the case, then how is it possible for evil to issue forth and emerge from the Holy One? And the reason, and most people would say, well, that's not possible. But he is going to show us the paradox of how this goes and how it all fits in. And everything, we have to be sure we understand, everything that is coming from Hashem is only good. And that's, that's an extremely high level, to tell you the truth of understanding but it also means that everything that is coming as we when we first begin this study we put up if you remember we put up uh, the Arizal's uh, Rabbi Yitzhak Luria's illustration of what Hashem did when he created all the worlds number one there was just if you remember it was just a circle drawn on a, drawn in a white space and number one Hashem had to make himself smaller because he was the Ain Sof the one without end and he had to make himself smaller, so he literally create, he, he, he withdrew himself, or he contracted himself, and made a space in order to have a space to create. There was no space. And the very concept of that withdrawal of his light from this space in order to have some place to, to create, that withdrawal of his light, because that's basically all that evil is, is the absence of his light, that actually brought into being the concept of evil. But as we saw there in that illustration, everything, obviously, everything is coming from him. He is absolutely, totally supreme. And and this idea that we run into so many times, you know, that the, the Satan, the Satan, is, uh, is, is, a, is almost a god, almost, almost equal to Hashem. This is so far, or even in rebellion against him, this idea is so far in uh, uh, away from uh, the way the sages of Israel thought that it's just it's it's not even funny. Uh, it's 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 a terrible a terrible way to think of it actually, and I, I I say that with all due respect. But this is the way, unfortunately, that many many people think, you know, and uh, you know it, it it makes it very convenient, you know, to say oh the you know the devil made me do it. I mean, I, if you remember back in the the 60s with laughing, <laughs> you know. But that's really not true. Uh, and we'll talk about that more and more as we go. I'll just give you a hint right now. We all schlep around with us, our own adversary, our own Satan. And in Hebrew, he's called the Yetzirah, the inclination to evil. It's something that comes from, actually, from our body. 
and uh, but it fools us. It fools us all the time, and it really is in a war with us, and it really is a great deceiver. It lies to us. It really is a murderer. That's its job. It wants to kill us. <laughs> And, uh, and, and it really is out to get us, but it does so by, by fooling us. And the way it deceives us, its most effectful, uh, effective weapon, is that it convinces us that this evil inclination convinces our personality and who we are and our divine soul. It convinces us that it's the real us. And think about think on that. It's really not the real us, but it convinces us that it is in order to make us more easily follow it. But anyway, there's a saying in the Talmud that says, you know, the Satan, who really is a prosecutor in the heavenly courts, he's our adversary in court, and the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, and the Malachamavet, the angel of death, they are all one in the same. Now listen to them. They are all one in the same. So how do they figure that out? The Yetzirah, the evil inclination, it entices us to evil and we follow it. And as soon as we do, then the Satan in the heavenly court, the prosecutor in the heavenly court, he has enough evidence to indict us and to bring us to trial. And as soon as he brings us to trial, the judgment is always malakamavit, death. And uh, so that's the idea. Anyway, let's get back. That's, that's, that's just a little bit of help in, in trying to change the way we think as we go along here. And I hope it will make more sense as we go along with, with Rabbi Ashlang. If we begin to think of the Satan, to, to be truthful with you, he is a servant of Hashem. He does his job. That doesn't mean he's a nice person. That doesn't mean, in fact, with all due respect to prosecutors in court, they're not nice people, period. I mean, they, they really aren't. It's not their job to be. And it doesn't mean that he's a nice person. Uh, and it doesn't mean that there's not a concept of spiritual evil. Of course there is. Absolutely, of course there is. What it does mean is that this is, these are the frameworks that Hashem created and in his universes, in his created universes. He did so for a reason. A, uh, in other words, none of the angels became evil. They, if they have an evil tendency or a judgmental whatever it is, then they were created that way, and they're simply doing their jobs. All right, uh, but this is the frameworks that he created the universe in, and it's all for a reason. And this is what we want to discover. This is what we want to f find out. So, Rabbi Ashlag's fourth inquiry, his fourth paradox. Again, this framework of evil, this sitra kra, the other side, the klipot, the shells. It's so far away from Hashem. How in the world could it possibly even be associated with him? And how is it possible for even to think about evil to, to come forth from the Holy One? And not only that, he says, but we find it is God himself and God who is entirely holy that actually sustains this framework of evil. So how in the world are we going to understand this? Let's try, let's try to find out about it, okay? First of all, Rabbi Ashlag tells us, he says, we need to understand the essential nature the essential nature of the framework of uncleanness or of the shells, all right? And that essential nature, he says, these are the great wills to receive. That, as we have said, he says, they are the substance of the soul's essence inasmuch as they are created. And it's only through their will to receive that the souls are able to receive 
all the content of the purpose of creation. And that content of the purpose of creation is Hashem wanted to give us a big will to receive because He wants to give us pleasure. He wants to uh, take us to, uh, uh, as I hear one, heard one rabbi talk about, fun city every day that we are to go with Him. Anyway, he says, however, the will to receive does not remain in this form within the souls. For were it to do so, in other words, just for itself alone, he says, were it to do so, the souls would, of necessity, be permanently separated from Hashem, because the antipathy, the difference of form, the oppositeness of form, which is within them, would separate them from Him permanently. <coughs> now, hang with me, and we'll understand what he is saying. But, obviously, he has already told us something very interesting. The framework of the of uncleanness of the other side of the Sitra Kra are the great wills to receive for oneself alone. Now he's going to tell us that our souls and I'm jumping ahead, I need to I need to go back to the text, but he's going to tell us that our souls, when they in order to be able to move into this world of Asiya from from the world of from Hashem himself, alright? In order to be able to move from there to here, they have to pass by this framework of the great wills to receive for oneself alone. So this will to receive for, one, for, one, uh, for oneself alone is actually comes totally from the framework of uncleanness. And it's this that must be corrected. It's this that must be changed. Otherwise, we can become permanently separated from Hashem. Okay, let's go on. So the next thing Rabbi Ashlag tells us is he says, in order to remedy this, hold on, I think, well, yeah, the remedy, the remedy for this situation, this separation. He says, in order to remedy the matter of this separation, which is laid upon the vessels of the souls, Hashem created all the worlds, not just this world, uh, the world of of Atzilut, the world of Briah, the world of Yetzirah, and the world of Asiyah. He created all the worlds, and he divided them into two frameworks. According, he says, to the inner meaning of the verse, and he quotes from uh, Kohelet, uh, uh, Ecclesiastes 7.14, where it says, One opposed to the other, Hashem made them. God made them. Now, I know if you look up, actually, even in a, in a Jewish translation of a Kohelet 7.14, it may not be translated exactly that way. But if we look at the actual Hebrew, it really does, it, this, is a, this is a fine translation. One thing opposed to the other, Hashem made them. And this is also tells us, by the way, that everything, the rabbis tell us in the Talmud, that everything, and in the Zohar also, that everything that Hashem created, He created in pairs, uh, like male and female. All right? Now, always remember this number one rule of, of uh, not just Kabbalah, but of any Jewish study. The number one rule is about the essence of, of God. We really don't know anything. The number two rule is that we are not allowed to take anything that's in the creation, because it's something that's created, and put that back on the Creator. In other words, we're not, we're not able to take uh, the, the sense that, okay, so he made everything, male and female in a sense, he made everything, uh, uh, provided a pair for it. Well, that's in the creation. Within the Ein Sof, within the, the one who is without in, within Hashem, uh, the God of Israel and the King of the all the universes, that doesn't hold. Okay, that that doesn't hold, and it's always a mistake when we any time we take something, some some form.
from the created world and try to try to superimpose that back on Hashem. Okay, all right, I'll get off of that. Let's go on. He says, one opposed to the other, Hashem made them. And this refers, he says, to the four worlds of Atzilut, Briya, Yetzirah, and Asiyah, of holiness. And opposed to them are four worlds also, Atzilut, Briya, Yetzirah, and Asiyah, of uncleanness. Now, we'll, we'll understand more of that as we go along. So just hang on to that, that idea. And then, it, then he says, he stamped the will to receive. Uh, excuse me, hold on. Actually, he says he stamped the will to give benefit. I knew I'd lost the text. Within the framework of the four worlds of holiness and removed from them the will to receive for oneself alone. And that will to receive for oneself alone he placed within the framework of the four worlds of uncleanness. And it's through that will to receive for oneself alone that they became separated from the Creator and from all the worlds of holiness. And it's for this reason, he says, that the shells, the klipot, which is another name for this side of uncleanness, are referred to as dead. As in the verse, he says, from Tehillim, from the Psalms, uh, this is Tehillim 106, verse 28. They ate the sacrifices of the dead. He says, the wicked who are attracted to the shells are also referred to as dead in exactly the same way. And the sages say that the wicked in their lifetime are called dead as the will to receive for themselves, which has been stamped within the framework of uncleanness, is in total opposition of form to the holiness of God. Thus separating them, Rabbi Ashlag says, from the life of all lives. So they're separated from life, so they're regarded as dead. He says the framework of uncleanness is at the opposite extreme from him. Hashem, God, having no aspect, listen to this, no aspect of receiving within himself. Hashem, God, is only giving. And the shells, having no aspect of giving, they only receive for themselves for their own pleasure. And he says, and there can be no greater opposition of form than this. And he says, and we have already seen that spiritual distance, and here's this idea again in the spiritual world. Spiritual distance starts with a measure of difference of form, and it ends with opposition of form, which is the ultimate in spiritual distance. You can't be farther apart from someone else spiritually. Okay. He goes on, he says, he uh, tells us in the very next part, still under the topic of the remedy for this situation, he says, the worlds unfold until we arrive at the reality of this physical world where body and soul exist together. Something completely spiritual and something completely physical. And likewise, he says, this physical world is, is where there is a time of spoiling and a time of healing. Now let him, let him explain. Our body, he says, and this is important to catch, it's our physical body which is formed from the will to receive for itself alone, and it comes forth from its root, and its root, is, he says, is within the purpose of creation. We, we're, souls are created for bodies and bodies created for souls, as the sages say. But that body now passes via the framework of the worlds of uncleanness since the sin of Adam and Chava in the Garden of Eden. As scripture tells us in the Eov, Job 1 verse 12, a man is born like a wild ass. 
This is not just uh, some funny comment. This is the absolute truth Rabbi Rashilag is telling us. And that body, which by the way is also the source of the Yetzirahara, the evil inclination. And even though we can't say that it's the will to receive for itself alone is is the exact same thing as the evil inclination, it's still the source of the evil inclination. It's, uh, it's the root, if you will, of the evil inclination. And if you will think about it, I don't know that there is anything that we could conceive of as a sin that does that we could not identify with this idea of it coming from the will to receive for yourself alone. This is the idea. All right? So he says, and the body remains subject to that framework until a person, now he's talking, now, and obviously Rabbi Yehuda Lev Ashlag is talking to, even though this is an amazing thing about him, he's talking to Jewish audiences, okay? And, uh, and never, I don't know, he was, uh, I don't think we could say he was a prophet, but he was certainly a person who had Ruach HaKodesh, who had, who had divine inspiration. I, I believe that very much just from studying his writings. Uh, but I'm not sure he would ever see the day when so many non-Jews are, are, are so interested, not just in Judaism, but in understanding uh, this level of thinking. Which, by the way, Rabbi Ashlag says, this is the part of the Torah, the, 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 uh, the sod level, the Kabbalistic level, if you will. This is the part of the Torah that is absolutely universal. That is for sure absolutely universal, and it's, and it's applicable to every person, whether they're a Jew or not a Jew. It doesn't matter. This area of study is for everybody. And, uh, but I'm not sure, I don't know if he foresaw this day or not when so many non-Jews would be interested in it. Uh, we live in, to me, we live in a, such a wonderful time. Okay, now, back to the body and the framework of, uh, our, our, excuse me, back to the body being subject to the framework of uncleanness. He says, until a person, and this is the time of spoiling, reaches 13 years of age, this period is designated, he says, as the time of spoiling. And, of course, he's talking about bar mitzvah age, of course, for a Jewish boy. Bar mitzvah age at 13, when he becomes what? A son of the commandment, when he becomes responsible to, he and obligated to keep the commandments himself. Uh, and, you know, and uh, I don't know if you've ever been to a bar mitzvah and if you, or if you've ever understood all the Hebrew, but, but the father of that uh, child actually makes a very special blessing uh, that he no longer will be punished <laughs> Uh, for for uh, the sins of this child, because now he's his own uh, person, he's his own man, he's he's responsible himself to Hashem. So then he says, then from thirteen, the age of thirteen onwards, through performing mitzvot, through beginning to keep the commandments and learning the commandments and keeping them, practicing them, which he or she he says does, but it's not just listen listen, this is so key. It's not just doing the commandment, he says. It's through performing the mitzvot, which he or she does, in order to give benefit to others and pleasure to the Creator, that that person begins to purify the will to receive for oneself alone, which is inherent within them. And through this practice, the person gradually transforms the will to receive for oneself alone into a will to give benefit. And by this means, a person progressively attracts to themselves a holy soul from its root within the purpose of creation, and that soul passes through the framework of the worlds of holiness 
and be, and enclose itself within the body, and this is the time of healing. Now he's not just talking about in the concept of uh, Jewish reincarnation of the concept of the of an ibur uh, reincarnation or a pregnancy reincarnation. He is talking about that. In other words, where a higher soul becomes attached to you in order to help you uh, uh, reach a higher level in your own life and uh, of coming close to Hashem. So that's one part of what he's talking about. But the other part that he's talking about here that's, that's not completely clear yet, I'm just going to throw you a hint, <coughs> is the whole concept of the five levels of a soul. And I don't have something prepared for that uh, 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 to put on the screen for you, but we will later on. I'm just giving it to you kind of out of order. But the five levels of a person's own soul, it's known by the, uh, the acronym Naranji, because the lowest level, the level that is in our bodies that we are conscious of, uh, is what's called nefesh, which is, by the way, just the foot of the soul. And the soul extends out of your body, your own soul, upwards just like somebody uh, the, the body is just a shoe just a shoe for the foot and just the foot is in it so when he talks about uh, that soul by, uh, a person progressively attracts to themselves a holy soul from its root he can be talking about an ibur uh, meaning a pregnancy uh, idea where where that, that's the literal translation of it but the idea is, is a higher holy soul comes into you in order to help you or he can be talking about you becoming conscious of the upper levels of your own soul. By the way, that that the terminology for that uh, is actually in in uh, in Judaism. The terminology of that is born from above. To be born from above, it's like a new birth every time. Or even uh, not really born again, but born from above is the idea. Uh, but it's the same idea. It's exactly the same idea. Okay. All right. Let's go on. He says, so the person carries on. I think I need to move a slide. Let's see. Oh, yes. Aren't I good? I'm sorry. I'll leave that up for just a minute in case you're trying to write anything down or, or copy it down. I should have had that one on the last one. Let me go on a little further. He said, so the person carries on in this way, continuing, continuing to acquire and to attain higher levels of holiness that are drawn from the purpose of creation. Now, remember what that purpose of creation is. That purpose of creation is that Hashem wanted creatures with which he could share, or with, with which he could give pleasure and to give good, to which he could show his goodness. And what is, as the Ramkal tell us, what is that, that Hashem wouldn't give? He can't give because he is totally perfect, so he can't give a good that's a lesser good. The only good that he can give is himself. And so this is the idea. The way he gives us himself is, is to enable us to be able to come close to him, to cleave to him, to bond with him, to become one with him. And that is the whole idea of this transformation of these wills to receive, which Rabbi Ashlag is explaining. So he says, and that's the purpose of creation. He says, and that's within the Ein Sof himself. And, and that's God as he exists outside of creation. Remember the circle. Okay. These higher levels of holiness, he says, help the person to transform the will to receive for oneself alone until it has entirely transformed into the will to receive in order to give pleasure to the Creator without including their own self-benefit. I'll let you think on that one for a while. This is, by the way, the concept, if you ever read 
the concept that can be talked about is uh, as bitul. Bitul is uh, uh, an absolute absence of any self-interest in something, making yourself small, in other words. Okay. It's by this means, he says, that the individual can acquire affinity of form with the Creator for receiving only for the purpose of giving to others or of giving pleasure to God is considered <coughs> that is considered as having exactly the same form as pure giving. Thus, he says, the person acquires a complete unity with God. He says you become one with Hashem. Because spiritual unity, he says, is none other than affinity of form. Uh, so, so good what he is saying. So now he has another question. He says, how could a person become united with him except by becoming one with his qualities, his attributes? And this is, the, this is why the rabbis tell us, what do they tell us? Uh, we can't know anything of the essence of Hashem. All we know is his attributes. So we should emulate his attributes. We should be like him. As he is compassionate, so we should be compassionate. But see, that actually is telling us, as, as he is full of loving kindness, so we should be full of loving kindness. On and on and on. Those things are actually telling us, though, that we have to do the inside work of transforming our will to receive for ourselves alone, our self-interest, our, our selfishness, all those things. In other words, that we don't do anything unless there's something in it for me. That's the idea. We have to transform that into doing just to please Hashem, just to make Him happy. Are, and, not, not are, but and, to give benefit to other people. That's the idea. And... This is so important, which is why we're going to harp on it at you for quite some time in this class. In fact, we'll, we'll, we'll be such a nudnik about it. We'll, um, we'll harp on it until maybe you'll get tired of hearing it. But I'm going to tell you, you have, this is the key. This is the real key to beginning to change the way we think and to beginning to no longer, no longer even keeping a commandment, no longer even doing a mitzvah uh, just, because of, you know, just because God said so. Uh, that's what many people think, or just because I'm going to get a reward for it in the world to come, or, or just because of this, or just because of that. But beginning to change our motivation, and I'm going to keep a mitzvah, because, number one, to make Hashem proud of me, to make Him, to please Him. And I'm also going to do it because it gives benefit to other people. In fact, uh, in fact we'll see <laughs> that the commandments are, are so important, because as the Ramchal says, says, uh, the Ramchal says this very, very clearly in, a, in a, uh, his work, Der Kashim. He says, every thought that we have, every word that we say or don't say, and every deed that we do or don't do, he said it all goes to strengthen in the creation one side or the other, either holiness or the side of uncleanness. Oh, what an awesome thought and uh, a big responsibility. But I'm still telling you, still relax, okay? Let's see what my time is. I'm, I'm, uh, I get stirred up and lose track of the time. We'll talk a little while longer. Let's, let's go until about 8.50 or so so the next teacher can get his things prepared. And, and besides all that, sometimes we have to take the work of, uh, especially in this introduction to the Zohar by the Baal HaSulam, we have to take it in small doses and think it over and really get it straight. Okay? 
Now he says, Rabbi Ashlag, he says, how can a person become united with him except by becoming one with his qualities? And it's by this means, he says, that a person actually can become fit in order to receive all the good and all the pleasantness and all the tenderness that is implicit in the purpose of creation. So, he says, now we have clarified the healing of the will to receive that is inherent in the souls as a consequence of the purpose of creation. For the sake of the souls, he says, God created, and this is interesting, listen to the way he says it, his language is precise. For the sake of the souls, Hashem created the two frameworks, one of uncleanness and one of holiness, one opposed to the other, which the souls traverse, he says, dividing into two aspects, body and soul, that enclose one another. And through the practice of Torah and mitzvot, the will to receive is eventually transformed into the will to give. And when that happens, then the souls are able to receive all of the good, with a capital G, (laughs) which is God himself, actually, that is implicit in the thought of creation. And with this, he says, they merit to a wonderful unity with Hashem, because they have come to the place, they have earned it in a sense. They have earned this affinity of form with their Creator through their work in Torah and mitzvot. And this state, he says, is designated, when when we become actually one with him, this is designated as the end of the healing process, which he is going to talk soon about three states of being. Uh, Again, I'm jumping ahead. I shouldn't do that. Then he says, since there will no longer be any need, once that happens, once mankind comes to this place, there will no longer be any need for the other side, the, the, the sitra akra, the klipot, the shells, the unclean side. Then it will disappear, he says, from the earth, and death, he says, will be swallowed up forever. And I think I still need to jump. Let's see. Oh, Eva, did I put us a blank slide in? Hold on. Let's see. Obviously I did. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so Shmuel makes a mistake. What can we do? <laughs> okay. Then there will no longer be any need, he says, for the other side, for Sitra Akra, or the Klipot. And the work of Torah and Mitzvot, which is given, he says, to the totality of the world during the time period of its existence. And likewise, he says, to each individual during the time period of your existence here, the years of his or her life, has, as its only purpose, is to bring us, all of us, he says, to this final healing, in which we come into affinity of form with the divine. And this is exactly what the rabbis are talking about when you've ever, if you've ever heard this, uh, this saying that they have. And again, the language is extremely precise. That Hashem hews a soul, hews it, I mean, cuts it out like a miner, okay, from under his throne of glory, puts it in a body in order that it can come back to him and stand in front of the throne of glory face-to-face with him. That, what Rabbi Ashlag is doing is he is actually explaining the process of what that saying is saying. Okay. Now he says, we have also explained, he says, how the framework of the shells and uncleanness are created and they emerge from God's holiness. And we have seen it, that this was an act- actually necessary so as to allow the creation of the body which a person can subsequently heal 
through the work of Torah and Mitzvot. If we did not have such bodies, he says, which contain within them the defective will to receive, meaning the will to receive for yourself alone, that comes to them by, provided by the framework of uncleanness, then we would never be able to heal it, he says. And now this is a paradox, I understand. But he says we would never be able to heal it because one cannot heal anything that one does not have within oneself. That's, well, now that's a statement and a half uh, that we could stay on for a long time. And, and Rabbi Ashlag makes that statement actually quite often. However, he says, we have yet to understand. Let's go, let's go do another 10, 10 minutes or so. See how far we can get. Hang with me. He says, we have yet to understand how it could be. Let's see. What did I made a big boo-boo on my uh, slides. Yeah, obviously, and I'm not keeping up with them very well. Let's see if I can do a little better. This was on what we just talked about that I should have already had up. Okay. Now, he says, we still do not understand. That's where we need to be. Y'all will forgive me. I'm, I'm actually not used to this kind of media of, of jumping around, and I'm uh, uh, just, just bear with me and forgive me. We'll get, get with it one of these days. <laughs> he says, we still don't understand how it could be that the will to receive for oneself alone, he says, since it is so defective <laughs> and so distorted, how could it possibly have issued forth from the thought of creation in the Ein Sof, which the infinite one, the one without end, whose unity, he says, is so wondrous that no thought, no word can express it. How do we understand that? How could this defect? Hashem creates something and actually creates it in a way that it's defective. How could that be? He's going to explain. It's another paradox. He says, the truth of the matter is that at the very moment that Hashem had the thought to create the souls. Oh, this is a big one. I'm not sure we have time to get into this, but we'll at least introduce it. At the very moment that Hashem had the thought, just thought, if Hashem had a head in his head to create the souls, his thoughts actually completed the creation instantly, exactly the way he wanted it. I mean, absolutely what we are moving towards in the future, it's already in his head. God, he says, having no need of physical action as we do. And immediately, he says, every soul, together with every world that were yet to be created, they emerged <coughs> and they filled with all of the goodness, delight, and tenderness that Hashem planned for them. In the same complete and total perfection, he says, that the souls are destined to receive at the end of the time of healing. And he says, and this will come about. When the will to receive, which is within the souls, has received its healing to the completion and transformed into pure giving in total affinity of form with the Creator. By the way, I stop you here just to, just to mention that I'm not sure uh, how this process, in a sense, it will come to a point that it's a complete healing, but it still advances and advances and advances on. I read a very interesting notation um, by the Ramchal lately, and I, I'm, I'm sorry I can't remember exactly what work it is in. Maybe, uh, maybe uh, his Secrets of the Redemption, but I'm not sure. I can't remember. I'll have to go back and look. But he said, you know, every thousand years, every ten thousand years, whatever it is, in the world to come, that a person's body, 
their resurrected body will become more and more transparent. And what he means, allowing the light of your own soul to shine out through that body. And he says it becomes more and more transparent. And that's very interesting that, that he talks about it in this way. Because this is the whole idea. Uh, for instance, let's take Moshe Rabbeinu in the time that we have less, left before. In fact, I want to actually end with, uh, let me mark my place here, uh, with uh, the Baal HaSulam right here. Because we're going to get into the three states, okay? And we need to just pick back up with this whole idea where we can have the time to go over it and understand it. But this is the idea of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu, talking about, about this whole thing. Why was it that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, why did he shine? Okay, when he would come down from, uh, from Mount Sinai. And, or any time he would come from being in the presence of Hashem, it talked about that he was shining. And many, many people have... have uh, thought that it's because, you know, he was picking up the Shekinah, just the, the, the glory of the Shekinah, the Shekinah, just from being in the presence of Hashem. But actually, he shined all the time after his first encounter. How was it possible for him to even go into the presence of Hashem himself on Mount Sinai in a physical body? It's because, Rabbi Ashlag would tell us, it's because his, he had purified his body. And the way he did that was because he had a total transformation of his will to receive for himself alone into a will to receive in order to give benefit to others and a will to receive in order to give pleasure to Hashem. And that purified his body. So his body became more and more, as the Ramchal tells us, transparent. Just like the bodies of Adam and Chava in the Garden of Eden. Uh, their their body was uh, transparent, if you will, and allowed their own soul to shine out. So when it talks about these horns of light coming from Moshe Rabbeinu's head, I don't think it's uh, I don't well it is the Shekinah in the sense that 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 this purification of his will to receive allowed him to be in the presence of God all the time, no matter where he was. But the other idea is that that process had so purified his body that his own, the light of his own soul was shining out of him. Very, very interesting uh, thought to me, at least. Anyway, let's... Uh, actually, let me... Let me uh, well, no, I'm afraid. I, we, need to, we need to start this thought, this thought all by itself. Because as I'll, I'll let you jump one step ahead here on what we're going to see. Oh, okay, another very high place, obviously. You remember that's the way he ended the last time we were with him. He said there's nothing more to be said in this very high place. Uh, he's, In fact, we, we need to come here because, um, you see, I'm, I'm just terrible. I need to uh, make somebody sit with me and tell me when to change the slides. <laughs> okay, let's jump one more and see. Yeah, this is where we are going. The next time we are together, this is what we are going to want to talk about. The soul, there are three states of being. And uh, in, in all of Rabbi Ashlag's writings, he refers to these three states of being all the time. Now, he doesn't explain them out every time. In case you're reading anything of his, he will either talk about state one, which is the existence of the soul within the Ein Sof, within the one without end. State two is actually the reality of the soul during its worldly state. And during its worldly state, it's in a divided state. It's divided by the two frameworks of uncleanness and holiness. And then state three, he will call, that's actually the completion of the healing after the revival of the dead, the resurrection of the dead, when a complete healing 
will come to bodies as well. And, and to me, a resurrection body, uh, in that sense, everything that we read about them, everything we, that has been talked about them uh, from the sources, actually talks about they are on a completely different level. There's a lot of different reasons for that. But one of those things is that uh, it can allow the soul that's within the body to shine out as well. Okay. Anyway, when we're together the next time, let's see. It's 8.48. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll just uh, wrap this one down just simply because I don't have enough time to get into this and make it, make it uh, stick with you. And we'll get together next week, next Wednesday. And I hope everyone had a good Hanukkah, and I hope everyone is having, a, at this particular time of the year, every, every uh, uh, body is off, all the um, families are together. So I hope everyone is having a wonderful time. And uh, I look forward to study with you again when we are uh, together next week. And we'll, we'll begin and start talking about these three states of being of the soul. And I hope this is making sense to you. I hope it's working with you, beginning to work with you. And that uh, it will really be able to to give you a, a real sense of a different way of thinking, okay? And, and a different way of studying anyway. Okay, so Todah Rabbah, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Shalom, 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 rakah, peace and a blessing to you. Bye-bye, we'll see you next week.